creativity, connection, purpose, how we perceive the environment, how we speak, how we look at each other, how we engage with each other as humans. These were some of the things that came up in today's conversation with my good friend and mentor, Cole Clayton. We created space for a conversation which was a little different, a little more off the cuff, a little more raw, a little more exploratory. And I think it came out really well. I really enjoyed the time that I got with Cole. And this is something that we're going to continue, something that we're going to develop going forward. At the end, we wrap it up and talk a little bit about Blue Giants, which is a new platform or project that I'm creating that kicks off this month. So stay tuned and find out about that. And if you're a bit of an early adopter and someone who's keen to get stuck in, you can figure out or find out how to jump on board. So without further ado, I'll let it roll. This is John Marsh. You're listening to Access Potential Podcast. And today I'm with Cole Clayton. Hope you enjoy. Haircut too, man. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah, cut it all. Yeah. It's like, no, nah, I didn't get too heavy. And um, I found some a bar and um, 20 kilo. I got four 20 kilo plates and a bar and four big gym mats for 250 bucks. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just cut the hair, start training, get the dog. <laughs> yeah. It's funny when you cut your hair and I was talking to Ruse about it because I spoke to another friend about a week ago and he he cut his hair from like super long to like basically like yours. And um, you fully get a little like, you, you get a little, it's like a little uh, train going past and you get to decide if you want to do a little like reinvention on it and you get to kind of <laughs> jump on, you know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. You wouldn't think it would do that much, but. I walked in and I was like, just number six it all over. She's like, serious? You've got good hair. I was like, no, nah, just do it. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the Joe Dispenza stuff, you know, like he's like. Is it? Yeah, picture, picture you, you know, like where do you actually want to be and how would you have to act to be that way? And like, I've got this image of, you know, myself and there's a goal around that, a big, real big goal attached to it. And I was like, I can't. I can't achieve this, like looking and feeling like this. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to take the steps. He's like, don't just sit there. You got to take the steps to, you know, if you're not where you want to be, then start, you know, working towards that by, by being that physically, you know, he's all about embodying what you want before you get it. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think that's pretty powerful. How do you, you know, the, the goal, I guess the bigger part that you race over there is establishing what the big goal is before that the physical needs to match up to. Yeah. Well, I've already, I already had that for a long time. It's like I'm already four fifths of the way there, you know, Yeah. to, and where that's going. So yeah, that's, that's okay. Mm. And then, and then this like the next big goal is just like a, um, it's like comes from the big, the purpose, the dream 
um, the reason for breathing. And then that big goal kind of arises out of that to push me into doing what I have to do to achieve what I want to achieve. So it's a financial goal, um, but there's no way I'll achieve that financial goal if I kept my current way of being because mm. my current way of being is n- not aligned to that amount of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The interesting thing I found too lately is... Um, we taping this? Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing I found is, you know, you talk about the haircut, right? And it's like an instantaneous... You can, you can, you walk in, you walk out. Um, but this was something that kind of came to me from speaking with you is that in other areas you can, you, you can decide instantly to change. Like say it's, say you're going to start to train or say you, you're going to just change how you use, how you're going to relate with your partner or your phone or whatever. (laughs) And it's like this double-edged sword is like, you've got this ongoing there's this ongoing thing that you need to be mindful of that is may creep back in if you're not watchful, but you can just change the stuff. Yeah. You just change it instantly. Like the more recently for me, most of the stuff's been like this long time thinking about changing something. And then overnight now I'm not the person who does that anymore. (laughs) It's just stopped. Like it's a few months in, right? It's crazy. How how good is it? I got that when I was like, I was, listening to, to um, Dr. Joe's stuff and then he's saying like, you know, uh, part of his thing is our bodies, um, the way our body is, it's sort of our body thinks it's the mind. So when we have these kind of instant body reactions, we think it's the mind saying, go get that cup of coffee because that's the habit that you're in, right? Um, but actually your mind's much stronger. You can you can control that impulse. You can you not go and get the cup of coffee. Right. Um, depends how, how conditioned you've made your body to go on and get it. In my case, you know, it's like, that's a hard one, <laughs> um, but I can resist it. And when I do, I feel amazing, you know, cause I've overcome this habitual reaction um, and, and um, habituated response of the body thinking it's in control. And, and so he's talking about, you know, like if you got past trauma, the minute that you can forgive the perpetrators, let's say, if it's that sort of thing, um, in and move on, um, the minute your body and your is going to be free from that pattern, you know. And so I was thinking about that as I was listening. I'm like, oh fuck, I got to go back and I got to like get this out of me one more time and scream and shout and put on the heavy metal and then put on the nice music to finish, you know, like like go through that somatic process, but if you go through that again, you just reawaken all those feelings and you cement it further. Mm. It's like, what's going to stop me for right now from forgiving that perpetrator? Like, what's going to stop me from, from, from releasing him from my field and just moving forward. And then it's like a no brainer. Cause I like, I don't want him hanging around me for the rest of my life. Fuck that. Mm. You know? So it's just like, fuck, okay, there you go. Old headmaster. You're done. I'm done with you. I'm, you're, you're forgiven. I've got gratitude for all the things that came <laughs> from that, you know, bam. And it's like, it's like instant weight. And I was fucking driving up the freeway while I was listening to this, <laughs> you know, and, and then boom, it's like something I've been trying to do for like, however long that is like 20, 20 plus years, 25 years. It was done. That's um, 
you know, that's something when, that popped out when you said, what's going to stop me from forgiving him? And one of the things that kind of reminds me of is like, you know, say, say we jump on a call and I've, there's something going on and I'm like, and I'm feeling the certain way and things, you know, I'm feeling stuck or whatever. And a lot of the times through questions or the conversation, it becomes clear like how I'll be playing into that reality, like continually co-creating this reality or this thing that's stopping me from the thing that I want. What was stopping you before from forgiving him? Is it just realizing you could or is there something else? Is there like a trade there that we hang on to this stuff? You know what I mean? Oh, I don't know. I, like I've done lots and lots of stuff. Like at first, I mean, I, last time we chatted, we talked about the grail and that was the first time I kind of realized how, how much it was in my body, the trauma and the, the hurt and the betrayal and, you know, broken trust and like that's why i was so um dysfunctional as a person it's a big part of the reason so like in that process it came out and then gradually as those years unfolded i was you know working on it working on it working on it even uh, when i had my first sort of taste of cranial osteopathy worked on my maxilla which is um the bone in front of your mouth and that grows that develops about the same age as i got this kind of physical abuse torture um and um yeah i got that worked on osteopathically and and i saw, i wanted to go and punch fucking walls <laughs> like i was just rope i was furious like i didn't know why i just I felt this anger and then i suddenly put it together i was like okay that makes sense because i had a bit of understanding so i gradually peeled it back layer after layer there wasn't much left you know what i mean um but and, but once yeah once i got to that it, it, it was a and it was the same thing it was um did a lot of work around art therapy making videos sharing that with people like close trusted people mm. um processes um thinking um you know um reflecting on it yeah but it was still there so um Is that what? Well, that's what, that's what kind of what you're saying, wasn't it? What, what was yeah, keeping what was keeping it there? Yeah, it's kind of like you know. It's kind I, of I'll like, tell you what it was. It was ultimately belief, a belief that I had to get rid of it a certain way. Hmm. But when someone comes along and shows you like logically what's going on and logically what you have to do to get rid of it, it's like, huh. <laughs> well, that's a whole new skill. I've just learned a whole skill, you know, hmm. a skill that I didn't have before because we're we're, we're so we're so keen. Like someone cuts you off in traffic and you're like, Oh, you're fucking, you know, like flashing light or whatever. But like once I flash my lights, it's like I'm over it, you know, but people will continue that on. So they go, they go into work. And, oh, he's fucking going, he cut me off. And I flashed his lights and he put, get me the bird. And, you know, so they're taking that into, into their day, into their work. And then, and then by, they get home and then they how's your day, honey? Oh, it's black in the morning. And every time you do that, you relive that trauma. And it's like, it's, it's, um, or you really relive the physiological response, the, the body response. And so it's like, Oh, just cementing it, cementing it. And after a while, you know, that if you keep doing it and you keep rethinking it, even when the situation's like well past and all of a sudden you're a bloke that, or, or, um, someone who has 
road rage or you're, you know, you're an aggressive driver or something, mm. you know? The funny thing, well, not funny, but the interesting thing I find too is that when you think about that person walking into the room, say you're, say you're just sitting in a room and you feel that energy walk in, it's, you definitely notice it, but it's not a powerful place to be. Like it's not a powerful energy. But the thing is when you're, when you're lit up, like the guy who's, you know, flipping the base, he's like pissed off and all of this. Like sometimes it could feel like it's an expression of power energy to behave that way. But Mm. it's crazy how inverse it really comes off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then, then you're immediately subject to the, um, to the state of being the other person. Mm. So they have to decide to do something silly or what you judge as being silly. Maybe you would have been silly. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you notice that in, in, in the car, it's like, you're always right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, you know, you get that emotional reaction. And if you carry that emotional reaction through your day, you've let this, this poor innocent person just trying to get to work, driving their car. Um, you've let them, come into your energy field and basically ruin your day, like ruin your ability to create, ruin yeah, your ability to, to enroll. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, um, yeah. work with people to, so, so, you know, your relationship with the first person you have to sit down with lunch to is going to be like, Oh, this bike, you know, it's like, and they're just like, yeah, great. But you've, you've, you've totally missed an opportunity. And I mean, I, I spent so many years in that space. Hey, regretfully. Well, I was going to say, you know, talk a little bit about, so we can use the word purpose or vision or knowing where you're going or intent, whatever it might be. But what it sounds like is on this macro scale, if you, if there's something still now, like if there's something still pinging away at that, um, that whether it's frustration or angst or past trauma, whatever it is, and the physiology is still responding to that Mm. it sounds like it's basically saying that okay this is happening and it might not be a real powerful position to be in because when you relate with people it's going to be picked up when you try to enroll people in what you want to do it's going to be picked up so is it kind of like what you're saying that what you're feeling now where you've where that switch is kind of gone and you're able to let go of the past trauma more completely you then feel a bunch more surge and kind of power or intent towards the direction that you're going because it's kind of like that state's cleared more like on an ongoing basis. Is that sort of exactly like a, like a good metaphor is sitting in a bath with beach balls and trying to keep them under, you know, like you can't have a very relaxing bath when you're doing that. If you've got three beach balls, you're trying to submerge in a bathtub or let's say a spa bath, you know, and it's bubbling away <laughs> and you're trying to keep these fucking balls down, then it's, then it's stressful, <laughs> you know, but as soon as you let the balls go, you can lie back and let the bubbles massage you back and it's not, they're not stressful at all. But if you're trying to submerge beach balls under it, fully stressful. Mm-hmm. And this comes down like the physiology of this comes down to um, a guy called the guy that's done a lot of work on it is a fellow called Stephen Porges. If you've ever heard of him. Neuroception dude. Yeah, that's him. The polyvagal yeah. theory. And um, so, I mean, what he goes to show is that, or what he talks about is that people who have had trauma, like severe trauma. So quick, 
quick sort of cliff notes version, we've got like a shutdown reflex. So we will just, uh, our deepest vagal response is just to do a death vein and fully shut down. Yeah. And then we've got um, uh, mobilization, which is kind of the famous fight flight. So where we actually get up and do something about it, but it's kind of like in mobilization, your body's pumping, you know, it's running. Um, and then you've got the calm vagal state, which is where the threat's over and and or you're in a calm environment so you're you know you're like you're sitting on the couch with ruby and the dog's asleep at your feet and you know there's candle light on and everything feels sweet you know that's that's when you that's when you get this what they call increased vagal tone so the vagus nerve is this nerve that runs out the back of the brain goes down your neck to your heart your lungs pierces your respiratory diaphragm and goes down into your guts right and so that's where we get the term gut response from so if your environment is seeming to be unsafe and i'll say how we pick up on that in a sec um then you'll get this response going back because so much of the fibers of this vagus nerve are what we call afferent so fibers going back to the brain and so that that's telling you it's basically you have this huge surveillance that's the biggest nerve in your body you have this is that wind okay there's a bit of wind yeah it's all good yeah you got this big surveillance system that's sending information back to your brain about your environment and that's what he calls neuroception we might call it a gut instinct you know um, where you get a feel for something and you're just like yeah that's not right and where we get that from is tone of voice for one Mm. so how someone speaks to you even if they're hello john it's very lovely to be speaking to you today yes that's wonderful you're you know like it's like you smell bullshit from straight away it's like come on you're just talking that um and and that's an obvious one but we pick up on very subtle very subtle layers of tonality um and the other one is loud noise so if you have loud deep noise in your environment constantly like let's say your office is like I used to work in this office well too. One one was like next to a sandworks which had backhoes and tractors going all the time and, and one I can remember was on a size second floor in Crow's Nest right over Falcon Street, which is like one of the busiest streets in Sydney probably. Um and you just constantly had this din coming up, you know? And it and it puts your puts your heckles up, these deep low noises yeah. um, actually send messages to you by a few different nerves to your brain and a few different nerve loops to your brain to say, you know, watch out. Yeah. Mm. So this, and, and the last thing we really pick up on in the interaction with each other is the facial cues. So what they call facial cues of safety. So they are very subtle as well. So we're doing audio here, so can't see it, but, you know, there's the fake smile. When I did that voice before, it usually comes with a fake smile. Like, hello, John. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful to be sitting with you. You know, and it comes with this put on facial cues. But when you really sit down and just say, fuck, I love sitting down talking to you, man. Like, love hanging out when we come to Newcastle or you come up here. It's just awesome. Like, I'm naturally connecting with you via these unconscious signs of the way that I move my face. Mm. so so here's here's the here's the trip with that when you have trauma your facial cues your tone of voice um you know everything uh and and your uh and your ability to genuinely connect with your tone of voice um it all changes yeah so when you've got trauma like i might sort of be looking at you more from the side and 
a little bit hesitant and maybe even just yeah, a bit mumbled with my speaking. Yeah, you know? or your arms crossed just constantly, your shoulders. The, that way. Yeah. Or the other way. And, and, and what happens is, um, just to finish it, what happens is with those people, first of all, a safety state and a love state is extraordinarily uncomfortable for them because their body is not used to that. Yeah. So when you get them into a calm state and a healing state and a, and a kind of um, like a, those deeper brainwave states, they get very upset. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, and it's also makes it, you know, because of that, it makes the way forward in the world really difficult. It can even, can it get it inverted, can it? Like they're more comfortable with like heavy metal or having that loud noise around as like more relaxing. Correct. Yeah, that's right. So they're the people that sit down and fall asleep to, to no, 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 dumping heavy metal because it yeah. keeps them in that mobilization state that they're used to. And that's just the conditioned physiology. And so that's, you know, that's a kind of, dispenser maybe comes at from quantum or just comes at it from neuroscience and mm. um, like a, a, a research basis. And that's maybe where the two meet. You can see that, you know, you know, those people, we all know those people. I was one of those people. Mm. To <clears throat> The word trauma. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I think for me anyway, when I heard or thought about the word initially, I was like, no, nothing's happened. Like I had the, you know, it, like an amazing childhood and all of these things and uh opportunity everywhere and you know but it's a it's a it's a broader term yeah like it's talk like what does that mean because i think you know i think there's a there's a difference in perception around that word or difference in the meaning that we place on that word culturally and as individuals you know massive yeah and then is it just what you sense? Like what senses something non-safe or what is it? I know it's a good question. I don't really have a fully accurate answer. Um, but for me, it's like a little bit relative to your own experience, which is all you've really got to judge it by. Right. So, mm. so like, all right. So if you look at when I was 14, I was, I can remember it yesterday. I was happily playing in the cricket in the in the PE class and I got called up to the headmasters and long story short he basically decided corporal punishment was the answer and he he forced me to bend over and and he got a big wooden bat and he stood behind me and he slammed it into my ass like as hard as he could and I was like I can remember the shock waves going through my body right and then he did that two times I was like oh fuck that was that was like I just remember that like full feeling of of abuse you know like just total trust just smacked out of me you know um and, yeah, and, he did, and then he did it again and that was even that was a bigger shock you know it's just like i remember the feeling of emptiness after that so but that but like i'm like you i had a pretty cruisy pretty nice childhood <laughs> that, that was the biggest trauma that, mm. that happened to me but like if you grew up in syria well like that's nothing you know? exactly that's it. yeah <laughs> or or you know i've i heard um you know one, one a story of one boy who grew up somewhere in indonesia or something and he 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 grew up like basically as a militia and he kind of rehabilitated and moved here and then was on the train he had his foot on the seat and the, the train cop came along and said you know get your foot off the seat and he just like 
flipped, you know, <laughs> because um, it just, he was, you know, relative to authority, you know, he didn't think he was doing anything wrong. He just had his foot on the seat, you know, and this guy's like, no, no, no. And he just flipped out because, because of how his body was conditioned, you know, to mm-hmm. severe trauma or, you know, like um, awful things like people with sexual abuse, you know, um, like rape um, and, and, and trauma, like um, war trauma. Um, people have been in prison. I've had friends have been to war. I've had friends have been in prison and it's hard, you know, it's really hard. Um, for them to to um, relate when you've had that level of neural conditioning with mm. that deep of a trauma yeah but but so it's it's all relative so what happened to me was hopefully the worst thing that will happen to me um and that might be nothing to someone else like nothing mm. yeah but it's a case of when you it, it's a it's a case of relativity and not minimizing what it would feel like I could say, ah, oh, that's, that sounded like nothing. Right. And then minimize your trauma and then just throw you into the deep end or not understand what it is that's going on. Whereas, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because then, you know, you want to look and go, okay, well look the day to day life, there's stresses as well, you know, and it's yeah. that sort of balance, I suppose. But we all have it like, and that's like, if we didn't have these resistances, we wouldn't learn. Mm. So if you want to get onto it on a real deep level, like we're here as, as souls to, to learn who we are. Right. So if I didn't have that experience, I probably wouldn't even be doing what I'm doing now. Um, because I wouldn't understand that, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to treat babies if I hadn't had babies, but, sometimes what I've gone through in, in having new babies, um, as a partner has been like pretty traumatic as well, you know, postnatal depression and stuff like that. But then when I get a mother coming in who's struggling, um, you know, I don't see many babies at the moment, but that in the future I will be once I'm graduated next year. And, um, you know, my friend came the other day and it's like, Hey, you're doing a really good job. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah. So all those compressions, I guess, like, you know, expansion and contraction facilitates life, right? So that's how we breathe. It's an expansion and then a contraction. And if we don't have those contractions, we can't go through the expansions. Mm. So so you can call them traumas. Um, and I think, I think, you know, some of those things are talking about like war zones and prison and stuff. That's, um, and emergency situations, you know, like mm. buildings falling or whatever, like they're really full, full, deep traumatic experiences. Um, but the, they're not, I, I think, yeah, to go on that definition too, they're not to be confused with our contractions, you know, mm. like the person cutting you off into traffic is not a trauma, mm. <laughs> right? Um, but your parents getting divorced probably was, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think there's, I've, I was, uh, I was thinking about that. And I think there's probably some element of something from that early childhood and parent, even if you had a great upbringing because of how it was perceived at such a young age, you know what I mean? There's probably something there for most of us. But the other thing that I was interested in, um, in, uh, what was I thinking? Uh, I forget. 
must have been, yeah, that must be the trauma coming through. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. All those years on the boat, you fucking made me sail the world. <laughs> and there's blokes, I was talking to someone yesterday, and he's like, ah, it's still on my bucket list to sail around the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to talk about. So, so this, these compressions, right? These, yeah. these challenges. Um, one of the things that I talk about with a lot of the business owners, especially freelancers, solo people, where it's you and you're going out and you've got the skill set and you've got to get the skill set to, you know, reasonably high. You've got to be capable in your craft. And then the next thing really is this concept of connection of meeting people and, and, and basically enrolling people in the fact that, Hey, I'm an osteo and I can do this thing. I can work with you, right? Or I can work with someone, you know, it's like kind of engaging people or enrolling people on your journey and where you're at. And there's kind of an exchange there, but this concept of story and our path and where we've come from, the things that we've done, uh, really are powerful ways to kind of go about that enrollment versus putting your certificate up on the wall and it says like cold clayton osteopath or something it's like i can walk past that any day of the week but when we talk I go, i'll start referring right from all over the place because i start to hear story and i can resonate on this human level but mm. what i wanted to kind of talk about is like what i've noticed is a lot of people having resistance even just at the story level you know, which to me is indicative of, okay, maybe we don't call it trauma because we don't know and it could just be a compression. But the sense of like, oh, yeah, it was nothing. I just had this, I just had this childhood and this happened, this happened. It was kind of boring or this, I, you know, I quit school or my headmaster told me off or whatever. And it's kind of this downplaying, it's a kind of a suppression of the whole story, you know, yeah. the, the good, the bad, the traumatic because we don't feel like our path or our story might be as interesting as Oprah Winfrey or something like that, <laughs> you know, or Joe Dispenza or whatever. Yeah. Cause you're not comfortable with yourself. That's, that's where that comes down to. Mm. So like everyone's got, like, I love people's stories. I don't care if it's the guy down the street working at the shop or, or bloody Gandhi, you know, like to me, um, to me, uh, I can pick up, so much learning because I can, I feel like, um, what I've really started to notice lately, how much of me is in other people, which is kind of what namaste means, you know, like we yeah, say yeah. that, like you go to the spiritual retreats, like namaste, namaste, but, but what it, what it really means is when I see, well, what my interpretation of it is, is I, when I see you, like I can really, um, honor what I see of myself in you. Mm. and that's cool when you're talking to you know john marsh on the podcast but what if you're you know walking along and you see a shifty looking character or there's that dude that always annoys you you know telling the same old story and it's like it's like that could be annoying or you could be finding the compassion and going yeah i'm 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 no i do that too <laughs> you know, like, and then and then you you connect to that person on a whole nother level um which is which is which is amazing but but um to back to the story point i think i think dependent on how you value yourself is how you're going to value what your story's been 
because we've all got stories and we've all got tracks that we've come through and marks that we've picked up along the way and scars and healings, you know. Um, so there is a richness in there and the storytelling is actually going to, the reason that works so well, if we come back to what I was talking about before, is that it activates that vagal tone. It activates that calming system. So if I, you know, if I, and it creates wonder and excitement, if you come back to that classic Ted talk where he's like, you know, we sell computers, want to buy one, or we challenge the status Mm -hmm. quo. We also sell computers. It's like, which it's a no brainer, which story you want to go for. Yeah. So, so the, the story piece changes our physiology. That's what I mean. So um, if you're not comfortable in telling your story and how you got those skills, um, it, it, it's fully a reflection to yourself of needing to do some work and find out what's going on and where, where those reactions are coming from. Mm. And plus we've got this horrible cultural piece of like oh no nah, no nah, down you know the tall poppy yeah, thing tall, yeah. yeah it's just i mean it's dying but it's not a nice thing <laughs> it's not helpful yeah yeah i was doing i did a workshop on storytelling a while ago and they had this they played this video and it's really cool because it talked about the uh neurological or chemical shifts in the brain from listening to these stories and one of the things that i noticed and found interesting was like you've got the the empathy piece and the oxytocin that comes in i guess as we relate to the the change and the struggle and the character but the other bit what i found interesting was that if the front end of the story doesn't create effectively stress if it doesn't hook us our brain is is by default not going to pay attention because it saves resources so if we walk around and we start the story and it doesn't have the elements of truth or of what, what was really going on or a little bit to, you know, in inverted commas, kind of hook us to raise that cortisol to bring us to attention, we're, we're evolutionarily going to just not pay attention because we're going to save that resource. But listening to you now, it's like, oh, this is kind of cool because what, it's, what, what I'm kind of getting out of that is, Hey, uh, you know, it, the fact that you have the scar from what you went through, share some of those details, bring some of that in, tell us a little bit about that. Or even if it's yourself, it might be like you said, create a video, writing it out on a journal. It could be whatever, but it's the, the bit that is the setting, the context, why mm. it was challenging is what makes it a good story, what makes us want to engage, what allows us to cultivate the empathy, the oxytocin, and allows it to kind of bring us all in together and be this big connection piece. But we need to have that um, that hard part at the start, the hard context. It's like the growth that, like you said, the growth doesn't come unless there's that tension, you know, that pain at the front end. Well, also to get our attention because we, we fear loss twice as much as we value gain, right? So they use that in advertising and um, marketing, behavioral economics, you know, they, they, they'll say like, um, that's why you, you, you know, when you sign up to those web, web uh, seminar things, they have the counter, how many days you've got left, you know, creates that urgency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, um, um, 
uh, like motivationally, the way that I've used those principles, I use it with kids is like, um, okay, so I want you to do these breathing squats. You haven't been doing them. No, why not? Oh, yeah, man, man. It's like, okay, if you do them, what reward do you want? They're like, oh, I want to go to the adventure park with dad. Okay, cool. And mostly we stop there, right? But you go, but you take it a step further because we, we don't really value the gain that much. And I think the reason for that is is because we've got built-in um, strategies within our brain to identify danger, mm. right? the amygdala and so on. That's why when you drive past an accident on a cold, rainy, wet, dark night and you, and you see the accident, you stare, you, know, you look and you look and it's your brain kind of registering cold, dark, wet night accident. And so the next time it's cold, dark and wet, you kind of got this unconscious pattern to say, drive a little bit careful, you know? And so we, the reason we kind of pay attention to that early kind of dramatic um, story is because our brain's hardwired to do that. Mm. And so you say to these kids, that's fine. Like you go to the adventure park if you get it done. Now, what do you hate? They're like, what? <laughs> this isn't a part of the picture. Like, what do you hate? Well, you know, I hate one of them recently. She's like, oh, I'd hate to have to scrub the toilet. Uh, okay. So if you don't do this, then what you have to do is you have to scrub the toilet. She's like, ah, <laughs> you know? it's like, yeah. So there's the fear of loss, mm. you know? Um, and that's way more actually of a motivational hook for her to do it, to get what she wants, you know? Mm. So we have this sort of, we do have this uh, attention, our brain's hardwired to pay attention to um, fear and to dramatic situations because they teach us a lot about, ourselves and our environment and how we should be the problem is is when that fear becomes the story so you know like jaws fucking jaws like how many people uh, of kind of our age bracket and a little bit older have watched jaws and are too scared to go in the sea like i I had a client when i was doing pt and she just would not ocean swim she's like i watched jaws when i was five i've been traumatized since like (laughs) we got it we got her in there she 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 did ocean swims and stuff eventually but um you know she just for she was what for 40 early 40s so Mm. for 30 years because of that fucking film she she'd been too scared to get in the sea (laughs) yeah well then we 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 throw it back to jaws but you know at the end of the day we've got this constant mess of that shit coming through maybe it's not a shark in the ocean but maybe it's something else you know maybe it's not accident related but maybe it's social stress or something else coming through social media or whatever um and it kind of i was i was going to ask you about this concept of space uh which is a bit of a pivot but maybe ties into this a little bit where we've got every day a little minor version of jaws in some form social relational is economic you know if you don't do this this will happen Um, climate change climate yeah it's all coming in constantly right so we've got this inundation and then we have this the earlier conversation we had around you know uh perception and and what's going on in our environment and this ties into that and then for you, I see you sitting outside and there's big trees and it's really light. And it reminds me of this idea of space. And, you know, often like we've done the retreats together and these kinds of things where we create this, you block out these things, take the phones away, take the stuff out. Here in this outside. <laughs> Is it? 
Yeah, sorry. Oops. I'm gonna have to move under the deck. <laughs> there we go. So, so if we talk about you know whether it's sitting and doing some breathing in the morning, whether it's going for a walk, this idea of creating space and talk about all of these upsides. But what's the downside if you say that the, we're twice as more move, um, empowered or, or likely to move away from pain? If we don't pause the repeat of the little mini versions of Jaws or pause these things that are going all the time, um, what's the downside risk? You know, if we don't create the space from this stuff, I guess to see you know, whether it's in conversation, space and conversation, whatever. Yeah. That's the hard part because people are just like the way we're conditioned now, people aren't comfortable with the space mm. because in this space, they hear the noise, you know, the script starts up and that starts saying like, why is he stopping talking? Like there's something wrong with him. There's something wrong with me. You know, it's like, how about we just sit in silence? Like, could we do that? People find that very confronting. <laughs> very confronting and the more story you've got and the more kind of wind up you've got on the inside the more threatening the silence is so the space the space is powerful because in the nothingness um creates the space for you to have a look and go okay where am i going to start here because i'm not comfortable in this in this space at all um and that's that's the purpose of meditation that's the purpose of um you know spiritual work and um ultimately enlightenment is that you're you're going into that space i'm not enlightened but you know what i've heard of people who are talk about is that there's an emptiness there there's nothing there you know and and once you're comfortable with that nothing then you don't even fear death anymore you know it's like but if you're if you're sitting there all day long with a, a bunch of chatter and busyness going through your head then you'll fear death because because uh you haven't you haven't achieved what you've come here to achieve, which mm. is to realize that you are nothingness, which is to realize that you are divine being, you know? So the space gives us the opportunity to see who we are, but you got to be still enough and comfortable enough to sit there and, and listen. <laughs> mm. It's amazing how powerful and how much it's felt. And even sometimes without realizing it, the other night we were on one of the group calls for the program that I run and we were finishing up. It was, a, I think it was in the evening call on a Thursday night and we were talking about some stuff and I just sat there. I think there were like five or six people just to see if anyone wanted to say anything else on the subject. And it must've drug out too long. I'm, <laughs> I must've <laughs> sat for too long because all of a sudden one guy pipes out. He's like, the silence, you know, he started to make it and ask about the silence, uh, uh, whether it was a technique or something like this. And, mm. um, and, and it was, it sparked a really good conversation around that, around that silence. But I think it's like, you know, I think it's a lot more than we think like three, four seconds. And, and, and today as modern kind of humans we start a lot of us start pinging like what's going on you know checking your phone <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's not that long you know it's not like we're talking 
days in a forest or something. It's it's just in conversation, a pause, you know. Yeah, because we've come so bad at that. We've come so bad at holding space and holding a pause. Mm. You know, it's um, we've got to we've got to look for the next little hit, little dopamine hit. And that's, that's because like, if you think about it, like we live in this 24 seven thing, it doesn't, if you get up at 2am, you can open your computer, choose what to watch and it's there. Bam. Like if you want to watch a YouTube of, you know, deers in the forest at 2am, you can watch a YouTube of deers in the forest at 2am. <laughs> but, but you know, like where else in history have we ever been able to do that? Mm. So it's, it's instant. If you want to, if you want to go and get your coffee, you know, there's a hundred cafes within, depending on where you live, but most places mm. have a cafe in town somewhere. Like it's only five minutes to get one here. Not a very good one, but to get one can. And so you go and get it. And then if it's not quite how you like it, then you just take it back and you go, I don't like that. Make it this way. And they do it. Like, yeah. Sure. We start ordering, <laughs> ordering express delivery and it gets, yeah, oh, yeah. Dropped exactly. on by a drone or something like that. And dude comes along in a motorbike and gives you dinner. Like, yeah. fuck, are you serious? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, you turn on the, you turn on the hot tap, John, and out comes the hot water, and we don't even question it. But I will tell you what, we ran out of water for six days. So we live without running water in our house for six days. Now you try that. Just turn the, don't turn on the tap. Just turn off at the mains for a day. Mm. And just see how valuable water is. Just try it. I challenge everyone to try it. And then try that for six days with three kids. Mm. You soon learn the value of water, which means that when you turn on the tap, well, sorry, you, when I turn on the tap now, it's like, ah, wow, I love this stuff. You know? mm. And what are we talking about all the time at the moment? Drought, 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 drought. But like you're in the city, you turn on your tap, there's hot water. It's just taken for granted. You know, and that's, that's why we're kind of, and what that's meant to do, like in terms of human evolution, where we're supposed to be, is that's supposed to be giving us the space because if you've got to haul ass water from different places and watch how much you're using and then, you know, wash your clothes by hand and, or take into the laundry mat and all that sort of stuff, like that takes a lot of time, right? It's busy work with your hands, not necessarily with your mind, but um, if you don't have to do that, if you just chuck your clothes in, turn on the machine and press the button and the water comes and the machine does its thing and it beeps at the end. You still got to hang the damn things out. Right. But what a drag, but like that space in that half hour, it's giving you that space. It's mm. giving you that time, the water coming out, it's giving you the hygiene to be able to be clean and, and not get sick. Um, you know, and not have those kind of crises as not have diseases. Um, running water's done so much for disease prevention and, um, sanitation in, in our country like it's incredible that, that what we have is absolutely incredible and so that's meant to give us the space to figure out to find out who we are and it does if you use it wisely but so many of us what they've done is that um you know people understand this and they've converted that space into filling our heads with shit that we don't need so you go into someone's house and look around how much shit have they got 
that they don't need. I know your house is different, but like most go go to a lot of people's homes and that's uh, full of stuff. Their garages are full of stuff. Oh yeah, like they buy stuff, it breaks, they throw it out. You know, mm-hmm. the the waste, the the dumps are full of stuff, and all that stuff is trying to fill up the fucking space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't need the stuff. We need the space. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of. It's kind of interesting. I was doing a one of the projects that we're um, working on as of today. Actually, in the in the group is around um, it's around looking at constraints. And one of the little side points of constraints is this ability to move from scarcity into abundance. So, like to be able to flow from one to the other. And a lot of the times in the culture, will be like, oh, they're you know their scarcity or the scarce mindset or their I'm abundant mindset or whatever it is. Yeah. But what, what's, what we see is that, and you just kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like the, it's not one or the other. You move from scarcity, you don't have water. Then you move into abundance. You have plenty of water. And then we shifted into abundance in the sense of we have everything that we need and want and we fill our house up with it. And now we've got a new set of problems. Now we're scared yeah. on space. We're like scarce on the connection. And so it's this flow. Let's say, okay, now we've got this new problem. Let's find avenues or create space for. Oh, what, what about what about now? I've got my house and my garage full of the stuff in the car I want. So now I need to get a security system to protect it all because I'm too scared to lose it all. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> you know? Or you get the money. Oh, I don't, I'm now I'm scared of someone taking it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. What about trust? You know, like this. Uh, <laughs> How is it? Yeah, just drop that one in. Well, no, it's. I think it leads in, right? Like you've got um, the. No, the reason I ask is because of the silence. Yeah. So right, like if we're together and we, we can sit into that, and I'm reminded of that second retreat that you came on, and mm. it was a fair bit of silence work and a fair bit of just sitting in connection work with, with each person. And what we saw from that is a lot of people doing business together Mm. well after the retreat still like people connecting with each other, you know, um, one of the guys, Jesse just went and saw Andy and they talked about a new kind of gig that Andy might do. Like it goes on and on and on and on and on. And that trust obviously relays into a business setting, which is a beautiful thing as well. But um, it stemmed from that, those gaps, those space. It didn't stem from a place of noise. Fully. Exactly. So what did we do there? We, we sat in silence, but we did it something even more confronting and it requires even more vulnerability, which is eye contact. <laughs> so how about how about you try you know um maintaining eye contact and silence with someone for those three or four seconds you were talking about mm. that's really scary it's <laughs> <laughs> really scary for a lot of people you know mm. but 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 what happens is if if you both go into that with an intention of going okay we're just going to try this like there's no, there's nothing to achieve out of it. It's just a, we're just going to sit and connect eyes in silence. Mm. Um, 
And then you're going to watch, you're going to watch the person, you're going to watch your, your own thoughts because you're going to have a hundred like, why am I doing this? This is silly. I feel self-conscious. You know, you might laugh a bit, smile, like, you know, look away, want to look down, want to look away. Like, there's so many um, things that go through in those first few moments of doing that. And then if you keep it long enough, then you have to fall into a level of trust with that person, you know, mm. like, um, and, and if you do, then, an, then the chances are, if the intention's right on both sides, then they're going to as well. So yeah, well, the chances are if they're the opposite sex, you can end up like getting married to them or something like it's, is that it's, what happened to you? <laughs> well, we did, we done the eye gazing. We didn't do it before, but like, I can tell you with the people who I've done that kind of work with, I can picture them in my mind's eye right now, clear as day, like fully. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're connected, right? Whether you like it or not, whether you like it or not. But you know, what comes to mind is like, you're talking about almost a, uh, exploration and almost a, a deep dive into your nervous system. It's like all of that stuff wrapped, all of that neuroception, all of that trust, everything wrapped up into one just in the practice of sitting with somebody. Well, thinking about facial cues of safety, and then we've got this, we've got these amazing um, vagus nerve sayings in our language, like gut instinct, but we've also got the eyes of the window of the soul. Mm. <laughs> so you can tell by someone's eye contact and someone's eye gaze if they're lying or not, mm. you know? but you can also tell who they are. So you can go right through and, and why? Because eyes are actually the biggest light receptors in our body, our skin and our eyes, right? But eyes, eyes take in the sunlight and that's what we create our colors and forms and um, perceptions of our environment with, which is why like red, it stop signs are red if you notice <laughs> and go signs are green and slow signs are yellow. Like there's reasons for those colors. Right. Um, and that's because of the way that light's hitting those, that, that frequency. And it's the way our brain is taking that um, light into our eyes and perceiving it. Yeah. So staring to eyes, you're, you're taking the light of someone else, you know, uh, as metaphorically mm. um so you can you, if, if they if they are willing and they can drop as much as they're comfortable with and maybe a little bit further beyond that um then you'll really start to see the person who mm. they are yeah and that that's going to build enormous amount of trust so if you then go hey like john i've got this i've got this work i want to get done then it's not a, a question you don't go after that meeting you don't go away and go oh should i trust john with this i don't know what's my ip you know because you've sat there and stared him in the eye in a you know in a in a held setting it's mm. um you know it's it, the trust is there the innate trust is there and you know what though talking about com compression um contraction expansion you don't really know who you trust to get into a contraction with them I was just going to say that the trust is there, but it, it, you also might pick up if it's not fully there too. And then yeah. You and then, or, or, or it's there and it feels really good, you know, like in a relationship or something, a new one and everything's right and everything's rosy. And, you know, like I picked up my puppy yesterday and I was like, yeah, I've got this, like, I know how to, how to treat a dog and he's a real smart dog. And it's like, yeah, you're okay, boy, you're okay. And then I said, oh, I'll take him onto my lap, you know. Yeah, I'll take him there just 
just so you know he feels safe and we're driving and it's a real windy road you know and then he starts whining and i'm like it's all right boy you know i've got this i've got this like me and him we're tight now I've known him for 15 minutes and uh and then he's just like just unloaded like he's just spewed like rotten milk and biscuits and shit everywhere and it's like that's kind of what happens a bit sometimes in life where you build up this great trust and you go on this weekend retreat and you stare them in the eye and it's all good. And then all of a sudden they've just spewed all over you mm. and how we respond to their vomit, even if it's an accident, cause it might be just their, their body, their condition program, you know, like their, their physiology reacting to you being really nice. Like people can be triggered by kindness. Right. So you could do something you think is kind and compassionate. They could turn around and spew all over you. Yeah, I've had, I've seen that happen. Yeah, yeah, and it might not be. It's not necessarily like an intentional fault of theirs, um, but but how you react to the spew <laughs> is is what builds the trust, and yeah, vice versa, yeah. and vice versa, how they react when you spew. You know. Well, and I think that's kind of a cool cool place to go because it's like we're yeah it's cool to sit and do eye gazing um on a retreat but what we're really talking about here is like how how you react to that spew whatever it is is kind of like this is kind of like this ongoing awareness or ongoing practice or presence that maybe you might come over time you know what i mean so like if you are aware of these things as trust, you've created space, like basically all of the work that you've talked about, when that spew comes, it's going to have a slightly different reaction, I suppose. You know, you might sit with it a little bit differently. And if I'm the one spewing all over you, that's going to be really helpful to me because you've created a different way of being. Like, it's not like you just rejected me because of the spew. You kind of like sat with it in a different way. But but yeah. that's a that's a thing in itself. Like that's an that's a lifelong practice, right? Like that's a whole. Oh yeah, of course. And that's that's we talked about that last time about building friendships and relationships over years. Mm. You know, as opposed, like you're not going to have that weekend retreat and go away and be best friends forever and never have a conflict. Mm. Like it's not going to happen. Like I have friends of 25 years and I sometimes have conflicts with you know. <laughs> But, but, but how you go back to that and how you both respond to that situation and each other's needs in that is how you build relationship and trust. Mm. I'm not saying I'm fucking guru at it because I'm not, but um, I'm working on it, you know. I'm working on, that's what I'm saying about recognising yourself in the other's reaction when you can when you can start to see that it, it gives you a whole new lens mm. to, to scope through it's not easy it's not easy for human beings to trust because of what you're talking about before that we we're looking for the drama because we're looking to escape the danger you know um to just turn on the radio just turn on abc radio and just listen to it for an hour and see how you feel after. <laughs> it's like, it's like you get you get four news bulletins an hour or something every fifteen minutes, and it's all fucking doom. Like, it's all there's no good news in it. But they'll they'll find something obscure, like someone set off a barbecue. I was listening to it the other morning because I like to listen to the 
the weather <laughs> to see if I'm going to get water, <laughs> um, which is actually kind of negative in itself. But, um, you know, like, oh, on the news, yeah, someone lit a barbecue in their apartment and almost killed themselves with fumes. And the fire brigade had to come, like, in Western Sydney. It's like, why is that on ABC national news? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> someone's got a puppy and they spewed up and they didn't react. You know, that's, that's something that should be on the news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Puppy, puppy has great time meeting new family. <laughs> <laughs> it won't spike the cortisol though. <laughs> well, exactly. You, you know, know that's, that's, I mean, it, we all know that conspiracy theory, but it's interesting, isn't it? Like when did we decide that this is a good way to live? And who decided it and why? why mm. When did we decide that bu- building the opposite to trust was a good way to live? Mm. Even, even universities, our education systems are set up like it. Like, like uh, you've got to go and study. You've got to get the good mark. You've got to repeat back what I've told you. You know, it's like that doesn't build trust. That builds fear and it builds like I don't know anything and I'm not. I'm not good enough. I didn't get a high distinction. I only got a credit or a pass or I even got a fail, you know? Mm. Yeah. You've got to have a delineation at that level, like to maintain the standard of what you're trying to teach. But, but is it, is it about parroting back a bunch of PowerPoint slides and Mm. what does that actually achieve? doesn't achieve much. And the healthcare industry is a place where there's stacks of fear running around. You know, we've got a, governing body that overlooks you know oh you will be sent to the governing body you know (laughs) it's like here i go back to headmaster's office (laughs) if i put a foot out of place (laughs) yeah yeah kind of need to to i guess over time see them as little games huh like roles or games that you have to go through you know to advance to the next level on each system that's exactly what they are Yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we can, we can play. Like that's, I think that's a good point and it's maybe something to, you know, conclude on. We, it's a little bit heavy what we're talking about just there, but, but actually, you know, I think you made a really good point. You can play, you know, you can play, um, you can watch it. You can watch it unfold like a theater. Yeah. You can, you can be, you can be actively trying to get into the drama or you can be watching on the stage and just watching back and going, wow, look at that they're playing politics off that person and that person's doing that. And that person's just spewed. Well, (laughs) you know, Um, and you can choose whether or not, like you said before, you can choose instantly whether you want to play in that drama or whether you want to just play your own game. Like, yeah, you you guys go off and do that. I'm I'm going to do a comedy over here because it's fucking more fun. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, There's a great, there's another great book, uh, finite and infinite games. Uh, James Cass, and he talks about that. It's, it's really well written, and he talks about the difference between the finite playing the finite game dramatically, like being the role, and you're all up in arms with every, you know, this this, this uh, roller coaster, and then the playing theatrically as you see the game, you step into the role to play the role, but it's it's get to you know you get to play with it, you get to bring tone, you get to have fun, you get to laugh because it's theater, you know, but it's not drama. It's not, you aren't the role, you're separate, which is kind of fully, cool. fully. And that's how, like, that's how the latest theories in chronic pain are as well. Really? So, yeah. So treating chronic pain, like if you've got this chronic pain, you come in and you're like, Oh, my, me, me knee, me knee's 
you know, it's bone on bone. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's all, all arthritic. It's gone. It's shot. You know, um, it's me bad knee. You know, what you're doing is you're telling that um, amygdala, that, that warning system that there's danger and the danger creates pain. Yeah. And so you go, Oh, my knee's bone on bone and I've got, you know, I'm going to see the surgeon, but I don't think he's the best surgeon. And, you know, I can't get into the other surgeon because, you know, <laughs> and so all these things kind of perpetuate pain and what they're finding is even much more so than um, in some of this research and some of the people actually taking this a whole step further is that um, they're going, well, actually it's the education. So first of all, your, your knee's not bone on bone, right? Um, some of the some of the soft tissue some of the connective tissue around that knee joint has eroded yes okay from wear and tear it's a normal process of aging you know but it's not bone on bone this is what it looks like you can see it on the x-ray oh yeah so all of a sudden you've got your you've got some awareness and some education around it bit of story and what's the best way to treat the knee well you know research is not even showing that arthroscopy is that effective the biggest thing is, is motion. Motion's the lotion, <laughs> you know, motion's the potion, move it. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. It's the movement thing. <laughs> right. Um, and so they're like, what? But you know, it hurts. It's like, yeah, it does, but work, work. You can do Tai Chi. You can do, you know, all of a sudden it's like um, all these things that they can do and focus on what you can do and what does create safety in the person and their heckles drop down and their pain perception drops down as well. Mm. And all of a sudden this pain is not so much of a pain. And then they're not focused on the pain. They're focused mm. on what they can do. You know, they're focused on the positive things in their life and the pain funny enough drops down, you know? Mm. Um, so, so that, that play, um, the way you talk to people in those, in that pain is, is a little bit of play like that, you know, like, Oh, so you've got, you know, you got the bad knee. He's <laughs> a <the> bad boy. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're going to put him on detention or what? <laughs> you know, And it's like, there's a little bit of a laugh and it was just, you get a laugh out of him. You change the state. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so fully, I mean, it, it's so interesting, like the way so, the science yeah. is coming back to, to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, what, what, and I don't want to go into now because it'll go for another few hours, but like it, <laughs> it takes me into this idea of you, you've, you fully led in that situation. You've led at a state level. Like you've allowed the other person to see the, the humor in the situation, the theatrical nature of the situation. Yeah. And to me, that's a big part of leadership, right? It's not, it wasn't pressured. It wasn't um, forced, you know, it was all led from a human level. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's really cool, you know. Yeah, the play allows you to comfortably engage with that and mm. not be threatened by it yourself, which at the end comes back down to have you done the work? Have you taken the space? Have you have you watched the script? Have you listened to your quiet inner voice and seen what it's telling you to do? And then can you stand in front of the the fire while it's spewing on you and and be still, you know, when the boom box is going off on each corner of the room? and the heavy metal's blasting out, can you be still inside yourself or will you be triggered, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you can come to from, in, you know, in that health space for sure, that's where you can come uh, into leadership, you know? I don't know about business spaces and that sort of thing. Oh, 100%. Um, 
think of sales, right? Tension and conversation, like it's, it's, it's everywhere. I think, and this is the thing, I don't think any of it's ultimately separate. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah. cool. You know? But if you think, think about the, the natural born leaders, they've got this charisma and the charisma is coming from that comfort and that play. You can't put it on. If you're really wanting to mobilize people and genuinely wanting them connect to them and, and um, not do fairy floss, not do sugar type connection, but deep long lasting connection, then that has to come from a genuine space and you just can't fake it. Mm. And if, if you've got shit there, then you got to deal with that before you can step into it. And then all of a sudden that person like you're talking about with the skills is busy as anything. <laughs> Because they've been, I like to use that word, they've enrolled people in, the, in their story and, in, and their skills comes kind of second. Mm. You see people that are not the best health practitioners that are flat out and people that study like so much um, and know so much and they're just kind of scratching their heads because they've got no sales. And somewhere there's the, the middle way where you, where you know what you need to know and if you don't, you look it up but you're not scared that you don't know it mm -hmm. um, and you try and connect to the person um, and boom. Yeah, like oh, you got to go, got to go see John. You got to go see John. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we better not keep you any longer. I know you got something on nine thirty. Um, uh, this is going to go out on Thursday. I just wanted to mention, and I'll mention it while you're here over two minutes, and then if you want to chime in, I just want to mention Blue Giants, which is a little side project that I'm starting and creating that will kick off 24th of this month, October. Effectively, we're taking a look or I've taken a look at the last 10, 12 years of my life, which has been in small business as a guy. And there's a certain set of um, challenges and of course, opportunities as well and privileges and all these, uh, this sort of basket of things that comes with that. And spew. And spew. <laughs> So, um, and, and really it's going, okay, well, what's been powerful? And one of the things that we've spoken about here today has been connection, creating space and even in the sense of growing a business. And so effectively what we're doing is just creating a new style of networking event that's, uh, pivoted around this idea of connecting as humans, connecting as guys, men in business. So if you're interested in that, check out, um, at the moment, there's no website, but it is Instagram, so it does exist. Uh, <laughs> BlueGiants.co, or just send me an email, John at JohnTMarsh.com. Anything you want to add on on that? I know I've spoken to you a little bit about Blue Giants Goal. Yeah, it's sick. It's a great idea. Um, it's like the the anti networking networking. Correct. <laughs> Creating a space because that's one thing when you are a solo practitioner or in small business. Um, it's uh, can be lonely, right? And you feel like there's no one else that's gone through the same thing. But sharing stories together, yep. um, in a genuine way and connecting genuinely, I reckon it's one of the best things business people can do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited. So we're, we're looking for those early adopters now. I've got a few tickets sold. So if you're interested, uh, just reach out. And yeah. going to be more to come. We'll. Uh, Let's talk of a podcast. Let's talk of some other things. So, but we'll kick it off with this event. Yeah, and I would I would say if you if you got in resonance with it, one any any work of John's, you know that it's coming from that place of 
trust of introspection and deep uh, uh, intention from the heart, intention for good. Yeah, for sure. It's not, and it's not for everyone, you know. It's not going to be the event for everyone as well. or the, the well, You wouldn't want to get triggered by it yeah. <laughs> if you go. <laughs> there, there may be some four-second silence for us. Oh, yeah, that fucking blue giant shit. No. <laughs> I took my business card. No one wanted it. <laughs> uh, all right. Cool, okay, brother. man. Love you. Thank you for your time. And I'll, um, we'll do it again soon. Thanks so much. Pleasure, man. All right. Catch you.